How's everybody doing this morning? Oh, that was weak sauce. That was just, ooh. How's everybody doing this morning? Much better. There we go. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. We're going to finish up our series on David and Goliath today. And um, we've been journeying through this, this story, like this well-known story, David and Goliath. Um, I love the story. I love what we've been able to pick apart from it. And I, I hope that as we have unpacked the points from this series, it, you've, been, you've been encouraged in your week and learned different things that you can do and how, how God is working through trials and Goliaths in our life. Now, Goliath, as we've talked about, challenger, right? The challenger in, in this story was a nine, over nine-foot-tall giant who was the favorite in the battle. And then God chose David, this, this young shepherd, not a warrior, but a worshiper, to come in and take down this giant. It required soul focus on God. And today, as we, we finished last week, we, we read the last passage where David actually swung that stone and killed Goliath. And today, we're going to talk about that victory. What happens with this victory? What did Israel do? What did the Philistines do? What was David's posture when he finally took down this giant? And I say finally like it was a long time. I only say finally because we've been talking about it for four weeks. This, this fight with David and Goliath was like 15 seconds. If that, just enough time for Goliath to charge, that stone to go, and David to finish the job. But I love that, that this story sticks with memories. And underdog stories in general. When, when you hear about an underdog, that, that's kind of the story that, that resonates, right? Can, can you think of a time where you were the underdog and you overcame something? Or you were rooting for the underdog and the underdog took the championship or the, or the win? Those are the stories we remember. Those are the ones that, that resonate with us. Now, it's no secret to most of you, if you're visiting today, here comes a truth bomb right out the bat. I'm from California, so I'm a California sports fan. All right, I know, boo, I, I get it, I know, I know. The teams I root for, my favorite team in the world, San Francisco Giants. I love baseball more than anything. Um, the 49ers, hopefully we get to go to the Super Bowl today. And in a turn of event, a not Bay Area team, but a SoCal team, a Los Angeles Lakers fan. Um, not a LeBron James fan, clarify that right now, but I've been a Lakers fan my whole life. But th those are the teams I root for. Now, there was a year in 2012 with uh, humor me with some, some Giants baseball history, because this is a moment for me that resonated. In 2012, the Giants were in the playoffs, and they were playing the Cardinals. Giants, had the, uh, they were the number one team in, in their division that year. Cardinals were not number one, but they had matched up. The winners going to the World Series, and in a twist that no one saw coming, the Cardinals took a three games to one lead over the Giants. And in baseball, first team to win four, you know, a best of seven series, they get to move on. The Giants had their backs against the ropes, and in 110 years of baseball history, only 11 times at that point had a team come back from that deficit. And if you look at the, the dozens of playoff games and series every year, that's hundreds and hundreds of series happening, and only 11 times had a team come back. So at that point, the Giants were written off. Sportscasters talked about the Cardinals in the World Series. This is what they're going to do in the World Series. They're going to go back for like the fifth time in seven years or something. It's the Cardinals were just a powerhouse team. And then the unthinkable happened. In the next game, the Giants shut out the Cardinals. And then in the next game, the Giants beat them, only allowed the Cardinals to score one run. So now the series is tied, and it goes to that all-decisive game seven, and the Giants beat them again. In that three-game score, they outscored the Cardinals 20 to 1. They just obliterated the Cardinals. I remember watching that series. I was with uh, my wife and, and my, um, my in-laws, and we were watching the games, and we had, as most fans did, wrote them off. Said, that's it, the Giants are done. 
But then they went. And I still remember that moment when that final out was called and the Giants went nuts and everyone was going crazy. It was something I'll never forget. Now, you may not be able to resonate with me on the Giants, but I'll take you back with me now to 2014, the Seahawks and the Packers. Who remembers that game, the NFC Championship? Oh, yeah, now, now you guys are with me, right? Yeah. Summarizing it, three minutes left, Seahawks are down 19 to 7. Three minutes left. Winner goes to the Super Bowl. What happens? Russell Wilson, I know, I'm sorry I said his name in church. You guys don't like him anymore. Touchdown drive. A touchdown, an onside kick, a score, suddenly, but then the Packers score. Suddenly now it's 22 to 14 with just a minute left. What happens? Seahawks tie the game. They get a two-point conversion, go to overtime, and then in overtime, they win the game and they go to the Super Bowl. As I talk about that, how many of you guys kind of get the jitters of, yeah, that was a great game, right? The, the, the underdog, no one expected them to come back and win that game. And as a matter of fact, one of the, a memorable thing you can see online if you look this up is Mike McCarthy, the Packers coach at the time, he has one word for Pete Carroll when they shake hands. Unbelievable. That's all he can say is unbelievable. And he said it in the press conference over and over again. It was unbelievable. Because it really was. Nobody thought that was going to come. But moments like that we resonate with. Moments like that are, are more memorable than, than some of the blowouts or some of the, oh yeah, we had a great season and did this this year. Those close ones where you thought there was no hope. That's what resonates with us. And as we remember this, we get to think of these memorable things in our life, in a spiritual sense, we can talk about how we have underdog moments, but when we see God come in, those can be memorable things for us. Things that, that mark a new starting point, things that we say this never should have happened, but when God stepped in, it did, and he provided an amazing memory, an amazing testimony, a new launching point for me in my life. Today, I want us to, to learn from the end of the David and Goliath story. When this victory happened, this underdog victory of David, what happened? When it was all said and done, what was David's response? What was Israel's response? What was the Philistines' response? What made this so huge than just another fight that was won, another battle that was won? And I'm not just talking about the response of David and the Israelites, but what is the response of the enemy in this? So 1 Samuel 17, we're going to pick up in verse 50, where we left off last week. And it says this, so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from his sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sherem road of Gath to Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. I love how this, this passage starts here, the conclusion of the story. David triumphed over the Philistine. Picture that moment. Picture what the armies are probably thinking and how, how they're reacting as this unfolds, right? The Philistines are probably watching the fight. Goliath does his taunting, they're rallying behind him, and then Goliath charged. Can you imagine the incredible roar that was probably coming from the Philistine army and the silence of fear coming from the Israel army as this kid went out to fight this giant? It was a very lopsided event, but like at a sports event, think of your, a sports event where you see the crowd going crazy. I've been to the Seahawks Stadium, I've heard them scream, it's loud. This was probably louder. And then the unspeakable happens. David triumphs, 
Goliath goes down. And now imagine what happens. You ever been watching a, a, a boxing match and the, the favored person goes down? In that exact moment, when that boxer takes a shot and falls, there's, a, there's usually a, whoa! And then it's kind of quiet to see, what's this guy going to do? Is he going to get up? The silence can be crazy. And then as, as the boxer starts to, to, to twitch and get up, you start whispering, get up, get up, get up. And then you start shouting, get on your feet, get on your feet. You want to see him get up and go. Picture the deafening silence that probably followed from the Philistine army when Goliath is running and he goes down. Picture the woe. Picture the get up, get up, get up. And then as David approaches his body, and then the shocking yells when David takes the sword and finishes the job. Then it happens. Then there's the eruption. Then there's the screaming and the shouting. But it's not the Philistines that are screaming and shouting. It is now the Israelites that are screaming and shouting. And they're not just shouting for victory. They are now shouting their battle cry and charging full speed ahead at this dumbfounded, freaked out Philistine army. It's an incredible turn of events. This is the ultimate underdog story that took anyone by surprise, but it clearly shows that God was in charge and that God was victorious in this battle. Now, the, these last few verses we read are super important to the story, but not only because it shows their victory, because it shows us what happens when God is victorious. And the first thing I want us to see about victory today is victory sends the enemy running. Victory will send the enemy running. You know, most of our discussion in this series so far has been about the Israelite army. What is their posture? What is their mentality? What are they thinking? What are they saying to David? But what about the opposing force, right? Verse 51 gives us this immediate response, this immediate response to the Philistine army. <clears throat> the Bible says they turned and ran. Why would they turn and run? They still had size. They still had numbers. Philistines, Goliath was huge, but the Philistines in general were big people. But why did they turn and run? Because their champion, their champion was dead. Their hope was struck down and killed right in front of them. And I think this one phrase, that they turned and ran, deserves a lot of attention. Because what, if we put our hope and trust in any person other than Jesus, you know what's going to happen eventually in life? You know what that person or that thing is going to do? It's going to let us down. Any person will let you down. Anything will eventually let you down. And for, for some of us, it's a, it's a political leader maybe. We put all of our hope and trust in this political leader. Then something happens and suddenly our hope is gone. Or maybe we put all of our hope and trust in, in coworkers or someone in our family. We say, I'm putting everything on this person, everything on this thing. And then it goes bad. And ha having trust in people is not bad. I'm not saying don't ever trust anybody, right? But having all your trust in any one person, when that takes the place of having trust in God in your life, I think that's where we understand the hard way we can get let down really bad. We can't let other people take the place of God in our life. We can't let other people take the place of hope that God has in our life. It's similar to what Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 6, 19, he says, Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The, the Philistines seemed to store their treasure in this one man. Their hope in this one man. Their, their everything was riding on, no one will take this man out. He's our ride to victory. He is the reason we are going to plunder Israel now. And once he was gone, they were completely lost. And just one moment, can you ima imagine that? 
the confidence of we're going to win to running for your life because their hope was in a man and not in God. All too often, I think we we do that today. We we find something, we decide. We're going to put our treasure in this thing, and it consumes everything we are. For some of us, it could be electronics, or maybe you've got a really, really cool classic car, and and, and your hope and treasure is in there, or maybe even your own home. You you are all in on these things where we say, this treasure is now all-consuming for me. It's everything I have in this possession. But when we lose that possession, what happens? I think, you know, I... You hear stories of people where they put so many thousands and thousands of dollars into restoring a classic car, and it looks cool, and it's their pride and joy, and then something happens to that car. Some people never recover. <laughs> like they're, they're down and out. And it's not just a financial loss. It's that was their emotion. Everything poured into one possession, and it's gone. Crushed people sometimes never recover. I've heard it said once that the reason we can't put possessions on earthly things is that a U-Haul truck doesn't follow you to the cemetery. The U-Haul truck does not follow the hearse. Earthly possessions do just what? They stay where? They stay on earth. They stay here. They are not permanent. There's a story of an extremely wealthy man, very, very wealthy man, who had tons of money, more than he knew what to do with. He put it in his will. He said, when I die, I want to be buried with my money. He was married, and his wife was obviously saddened to hear that this is what he wanted. Sell my stuff, bury me with my money. But it was in his will. So what happens they have, the, they have the funeral, the service, they have the gravesite, and everyone watches as the, the casket is lowered down, they cover it with dirt, and it's all said and done. One of, the, one of the wife's friends came up to her and she said, did you comply with his will? She said, of course I did. And she said, I can't believe you buried all that cash. She goes, cash? No, I looked at the bank statement, I wrote him a check. <laughs> right? Her husband was going to leave her out to dry. Unfortunately for him, she found a loophole. <laughs> now, for us this day, we will not always be that lucky where a certain small little loophole can, can save what we had wanted, right? We don't always have a loophole or a way out when something we put our treasure in goes away. The good news is, though, we have a God who is very personal, a God who is very involved, a God who is very big, and we don't need a loophole to be connected with him. We are there. He is there. He never leaves us. He never changes. He never leaves us hanging out to dry. Many of us maybe need to be reminded of this verse in Romans 8, 28, where it says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. We may experience seasons where where we simply don't know where God is sometimes. We say, God, I I don't know how this is going to work out in my life. I I don't know what's going to happen. But what we can do is take confidence that in all these things, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's devastating, we can know God works in those things too. And if we put our treasure in him, we store our hope and our love and our life in him, he can show us how some of those things aren't that big a deal. Especially compared to him, they are not the big deal. He is and he has got you. And I know from personal experience, God works even when it seems hopeless. Um, There was a number of years ago um, where we got hit, I believe this was when Aurora was first born. So our our firstborn daughter, she's 11 now, but she was born in November. And the next year during um, Stephanie's checkups at the hospital, um, they, they examined her chest and the doctor said, hey, we found lumps. And talk about a world crashing in that moment. I remember being just devastated. 
I've had uh, two of my grandmothers pass away and one of my aunts pass away from breast cancer. So it was just for, for me, it was, it was so shocking. And I remember feeling like the world was just crashing on me. And the doctor said that the normal lines, don't be afraid. We don't even know what they are yet. We're just gonna, we're just gonna biopsy. We're gonna see what they are. It seemed like nothing the doctor said in that moment for me made any sense. It was just, I was afraid. Now, we had, she had the surgery, they removed a lump, they said they tested it, and it was totally benign, nothing to be worried about. I was like, praise God for that. But, they said, but there's more we want to go in and check out and take out. And it was just like, yay, oh, just crushed again. So she went back in, and they got everything, and she got a clean bill of health. We were so thankful to God for that. That same year, I had a kidney stone. Now, in scale of comparison, lumps, kidney stone, not that big a deal, right? The pain was a big deal. It hurt really bad. And then what made it worse is the doctor said, hey, this stone is inhumanly possible to pass. We have to go get it. So then I had surgery. And all these surgeries were within a few months of each other, right after having um, Aurora enter our lives. With those surgeries came something that we all love from hospitals, bills. Bills that said, hey, insurance only covered this, here's your portion. Hey, insurance covered this, here's your portion. Then they told me my surgery was an elective surgery and it wasn't covered. It's like, elective? You told me I couldn't do this on my own. So we got an astronomical amount. I mean, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of bills. So I remember calling, calling the hospital saying, okay, I can't pay this. Like, I, I cannot pay this. What are we supposed to do? And, and the, the person on the phone, the financial portion of the hospital, they said, well, you can set up a monthly payment plan. It's so a great, how many years can I extend this thing out for? Because we're buying like two new cars at what this price point is. They said, one year. What's my monthly payment? It was over 800 bucks a month. One monthly payment. So I told them, I can't do that. And they said, well, unfortunately, if you sign up for this and then you don't pay it, we send you to collections and it's just a snowball of problem after problem. So I remember me and Stephanie having this moment where we were like, wow, life feels like it's over right now. Yes, we're alive, but we cannot do this. I'm going to have to take out a, I'm going to have to take out a loan to pay these bills. And I didn't know what to do. And, and I don't even know if I would qualify for a loan that substantial, just on top of what we already had with our home and things. And I was just, I was at my wit's end. I didn't know what to do. And Stephanie and I spent a lot of time praying in that season. More so than normal. We're like, God, we need answers. We need help. Sure enough, God showed up. People that we didn't share this story with called us and asked if there was something going on in our lives that we needed help with. And something I never am comfortable with is asking for money. And so I didn't. <laughs> I would just say, just pray for us. You know, it's, it's, it's a rough season, and, and people would pray and say, well, well, God's just really asking me, what can I help with? And we had people that we hadn't talked to in a long time all of a sudden start contributing to helping us get out of this medical issue, this, this financial debt we were in. And then out of the blue, we get told by someone, have you applied for this through the hospital? Because they can look at your finances and offer assistance. I said, no, I did. They said, no, here's a back door that they don't tell you about that you can actually call this person and, and explain your situation. So we did. And we put off paying some of the bills and we were going through phone calls. And then in one day, we got a phone call from the hospital that said, hey, your debt has been wiped out. And it was the most incredible moment because our numbers, even with this program, didn't match what they said they could do. It was obviously an act of God. God coming in and saying, I'm bigger than this. 
I've got you guys. And now we get to look back and see those moments where we say, wow, not only did, did he bless my wife by, by healing her from what could have been something devastating, but he healed us from, from a financial burden that we thought was way too big. We'd never overcome this. I've seen personally God come in and do things that only he can do. There's no other explanation for it. God stepped in and did something phenomenal. True victory. This was true victory for us. And it wasn't just something that, that the world did. It was something God did. And I think when we find true victory, the kind ultimately won by God in our life, it should not send us running. It should send the enemy running. True victory takes, looks the enemy in the eye, and it has to go away. This is what we see in David. This is what we can see in our lives today. David understands when the enemy goes running, God deserves the glory for it. It's not his glory. It's not the army's glory. This was something only God can do, and victory gives the glory to God. 1 Samuel 17, 52, we read this. It says, Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Shaharim road to Gath and Ekron. Now, we, we've noted a, a few different times in this story about when God gets the victory, right? When God gives the victory, he deserves the glory for it too. I, I think too often we can take credit for things that, that really aren't ours to take credit for. Uh, we, we take the glory for ourselves when victory is won. Um, oh, we say, oh, maybe it was actually me. I know I prayed about it, but then I actually did this and it worked. So this is, this is my victory. I, I really went and did this. Our egos get a little bit too big for us, right? Sometimes we get distracted, though, and we start seeing ourselves instead of what God was doing in ourselves. If the devil can't stop God from winning victory in your life, I bet you anything he's going to do his best to distract you from giving God the victory in your life. He can't claim the victory, but he may look at you and find a way that you can say, oh, that really was just me instead. That really wasn't God. That was, that was me doing these things. The Hebrew word used in verse 52 says great shout, or the, the word for great shout is an interesting one. It's, it's a battle term. It's a battle term speaking about both physical and spiritual battles that we face. And it's mentioned elsewhere in scripture. In Psalm 108, it says this, who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? It is not, is it not you, God? You who have rejected us and no longer go out with our armies, give us aid against the enemy for human help is worthless. With God, we gain the victory, and we will trample down our enemies. Here in that last line, David is asking, who will help us? It's not just humanity. Who will help us in this victory? With God's help, he says, with God's help, we will gain this victory. Do you believe that to be true today? Do, do you believe that today it's not just people, it is God working amongst us. It is God's presence, God's Holy Spirit, God's power that can overcome these problems and bring us victory. I think sometimes we're guilty of trying to fight it with our own strength. I'm guilty of that all the time. What can I do? What can I do? Before realizing it's not just what can I do, it's God, what can you do? God, how can you help me through this? God, how can I see you in the midst of this problem? It's easy to take God out of the equation sometimes and think for a few moments that we are doing this on our own, that we've got this. But David understands where his help come from. He understands where this is. In Psalms 121, he says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Friends, there is no better place to get help than from the one who made the heavens and the earth. Because his help and strength came from the Lord, that is who, and he, that is who David and the Israel army, that's who they give credit to after this fight. 
They don't take credit for them. David doesn't take credit for himself. He doesn't say, I slayed the giant. My arm did this. My training did this. He said, God delivered me. If you remember last week, we talked about when Saul said, what makes you qualified to do this? He said, God delivered me from the lions. God delivered me from this, and God will deliver us from the Philistine. Before he even thought he was giving credit to God. It was easy for him in those moments because he was already in the habit of acknowledging God in the first place. That made it easier for when it happened. He said, yes, that was God. I saw him then, and I see him here. If we start recognizing what God's already done in our lives, it's going to be easier to recognize it when he keeps doing things in our lives. Victories won by God deserve all the praise to go to God. There's another story where where people did this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had an extremely impossible task they were facing, right? These guys, they were told, bow down to the king or get thrown into a furnace. A furnace so hot that it burned up the people that were throwing people into the furnace. What are you going to do? They have to make a choice. Bow down to the king, bow down to this idol, or obey God. But the greater the challenge, the greater the glory God gets. And I love what they do. They made the choice to obey God and trust for his promise and protection. And as a result, God didn't just keep them safe from the fire. You know what God does in this story? He goes in the fire with them. When they start looking in the furnace, they say, how many people did you throw in there? He goes, three. He goes, well, I see four now. And one of them looks like the son of God. God didn't just say, I'll protect you. God said, I'm going with you in this moment. I will be next to you. I will be holding you. I am comforting you. I am protecting you. I am there right now with you. He showed up in what seemed like for people an impossible situation. So much so that they didn't even smell like smoke. The only thing that burned was the ropes holding them and they were untouched. They made an incredible quality choice to serve God and obey his command rather than the the commands of the king, right? They knew that God was true. They knew that God was real. They knew that his promises were, were true and that God was faithful. Not only were they delivered from the fire, but check this out. Because they were faithful to God, because they gave credit to God, because they chose not to give in to the world, God used their situation as a springboard for their promotions in the land that ultimately led to changing of the laws in the land. That's an incredible moment, right? Because they said, I'm going to, I'm going to stand firm with God, laws were changed. Their quality of choice not only improved their lives, but the lives of the believers in that kingdom and the lives of believers to this day when we get to hear about what they did. That's an awesome story. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he can rescue them from a fire, he can rescue us from what we're going through today. Absolutely, he can. During this time, during this time of challenges in, in the world, when the world throws at you, let's take the opportunity to praise God and think not just for what he's already done. What if we shifted our mindset to thanking God for what he's going to do? We said, God, thank you for what you've done, and I thank you for the things I don't even know yet. I thank you for the things that you're working on that I can't even see, but I know that you're good. And I know that you have plans, and I'm thankful that you're already mapping things out for me. That takes a, a mindset shift. Instead of complaining about the circumstance, begin by praising, thanking God for his goodness, his faithfulness, his promises. Thank him for his victories. Every challenge, every challenge brings a victory and a testimony of God's faithfulness. And when we can become immovable when we believe in his promises. Stand fast in faith and know that God gets the glory for all these things. And and today, as we conclude this story, there's one more piece of uh, post-victory behavior that we need to discuss. And I think this is a really cool thing that sometimes we we brush over in scripture, but it's it's a great ending to the story. Victory requires us to finish the job. 
Victory requires us to finish the job. How many times will you have kids, if you say do your chores, you say do it till it's finished? Right, we're, we're in that phase right now with, with one of ours. The only one that can really do chores at a small point. But, you know, we're like, hey, go do this. And now the phrase is, do I have to go check on it? That's what we, we tell her. Do I have to go check? And she knows that if we go check and it's not done, there's some consequences. So now what's really funny is she'll come and be like, all right, I finished my chores. I'm going to go check. No, no, just wait one second. And she'll go back out and try again, right? Victory. We want, we want God's victory. We want to step into this victory. Finish the job. Finish what God has called you to do. Finish it the way God has told you to do it. In 1 Samuel 17, 53, it says this. When the Israelites returned from the pursuit of the Philistines, they plundered their camps. Now, that, that may seem just like, oh, yeah, that, that's what you do. But there was actually a reason that armies would plunder each other's camps after war. This is an action step taken by the Israelites once the Philistines are done, and it's often skipped over. And author Karen Harden notes this. She says, historically, Whenever there has been a time of transition, there has been an opportunity and anointing to take the plunder. Now, plunder is that which has been stolen and which someone else now holds. But in biblical times, when an army would plunder the other army, it, was, it wasn't just stealing their stuff. That plunder would literally pay for the war. It would literally equip the land for the transition that just happened. So it wasn't just, this is their stuff, let's take it because now it's ours. It was, that's their stuff, let's take it because we need to rebuild. We need to recover from our losses. We have to do something. There's, there's transitioning now that's happening. So this was part of what they would do. If they did not take the opposing army's plunder, the op opposing army survivors could come and take it back and start to rebuild. You would miss out on a chance to recuperate some of your losses. So there was actually consequences for not taking what was now yours. This season in Israelite history was clearly a one that was going to be in transition. David was anointed, the future king of Israel at this point. Even though Saul was still on the throne, he was anointed. He was going to be king. In addition, this battle, the one that included David leading the charge, would serve as a turning point on this unknown shepherd to being someone who Israel was now going to recognize as, this is going to be the guy. People started, not, the people started singing Daniel's praise, or David's praises before he was king because they saw the success that God was doing through him. Nonetheless, though, here's what we have to see from this part of the story. The Israelites did not stop short after they took down Goliath. They finished the job. They charged the army. They made the army retreat. After the battle, they took the plunder. They did everything that was required of them in this time. Often, I think, we, we can ask God for freedom from a certain situation. We can say, God, I need help here. I need provision here. And then God says, okay, here it is. Here's what you need to do. But then what do we do sometimes? Do I need to do all that, God? What if I just did this part? This part's convenient. That part's hard. I'll get back to that. And we, and we don't fully step in. We don't, we don't finish the job. The problem is, history and scripture shows us some very, very not good things when there's people that don't finish the job. For example, in Judges chapter 1, we see multiple examples of people that don't finish the job. God says, I need you guys to do this, and they decide, no. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Sheen, its villages, despite God saying, drive everybody out of this land. In the same chapter, Ephraim didn't drive out the Canaanites in Gezer, despite God saying, take them out. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, despite God saying, let no inhabitants stay. In this one chunk of verses, there are three more people who come to this land, and there's Canaanites there, and God said, when you take this land, the Canaanites need to go because they will corrupt, they will deceive, and they will poison what we're trying to establish. You know what the people said? 
well, the Canaanite women are really attractive, and we kind of like some of these things, and so we're not going to kick them out. And so they didn't. They disobeyed God's hand. They didn't finish the job. They didn't, they, God gave them victory, and they decided we're only going to do this much with it. They didn't do everything God said. Because of that, the Canaanites brought their false gods into play still. They started poisoning the Israelite culture, and people started turning away from God. And God in this moment said, I gave you instructions. I'm not going to drive them out. I told you to do it. If this is what you want, I'm going to let you live with this now. They didn't finish the job, and then they had to live with the consequences of it. The Israelites didn't listen, and it got really, really hard. When God gives us victory, when God says, here's how you can overcome your problem, here's how we are going to do it, here's what I'm going to do for you, step into it 100%. Give it your everything. Follow what God's put on your heart to do. Follow the path that God has opened up. Don't hold back because he is not holding back. He's not holding back when it comes to us. He gave us his everything, and it's deserving that we give him our everything back. This scene from David and Goliath, when they finished the job, this serves as the, the bow on top of the story, right? The Israelites stand off. God opens up this opportunity to move into this, this season of transition, to be able to afford, to replenish their stocks after a season of turmoil and war, and ultimately set up the coming reign of the greatest king they would have with David. But first, they had to finish. Obedience isn't starting. Victory isn't just starting. Obedience and victory, if you want to see it all to its fruition, finish. Step into it with everything. Give it all you've got. Don't stop short. We see many situations where people in Scripture stop short. And, and in our lives, we cannot afford to stop short. You cannot afford to stop short. Give him everything. It's easy to think. Mostly done. <laughs> Mostly finished. But think for a moment where we would be today. Where would we be today if God decided, I'm going to stop just short. I'm going to give him Jesus. And then Jesus is here and shows us this incredible path to salvation, this incredible, incredible way to love God, to love your neighbors, totally breaking culture. But what if God, what if, what if Jesus stopped a little bit short and said, you know, you know, God, that cross looks really, really painful, so I'm going to stop now. I'm just going to say, nope, I'm not doing the cross. I showed them, told them what they need to do, showed them what they need to do. They can figure out the rest on their own. They've got this. What if Jesus would have stopped short? What would have changed for us? Everything, right? Everything would have changed. Thankfully, Jesus did complete his mission. He did it with full confidence. He was able to say on the cross in that moment, he said, it is finished. It is finished. He gave us his everything. And as our series comes to a close, I want to take us a reminder of some of the points that we had on these weeks that ultimately bring us to this amazing victory in God. We talk about a challenger that David faced. Numerous parallels between who Goliath was and who the devil is. In understanding one, you get to understand the other. When we recognize who the enemy is, we recognize the Goliaths, we can recognize how they're going to try and distract us from God. Look at David, a man after God's heart, who in all things gave God the glory in his life. Throughout the story of David and Goliath, we see how David was completely dependent on God and full of faith. And we, he knew God would deliver him through each and every circumstance. Last week, we saw how David had everything he needed to be victorious in God and how all of us today, we have everything we need to claim victory in God. We have everything we need to love each other. We have everything we need to serve. We don't have to hold back because God has given us right now everything we need to start right now giving everything to him. David's dependence on God 
continues throughout his life. There's a few exceptions where he messes up, but guess what? We all mess up. But even in his mess-ups, we see God working in incredible ways throughout the rest of his life. David's dependence on God continues. What could David have accomplished if he did this all without God? What would, what would David have accomplished if he went out there without God? If David was just some, some street kid who said, I can take on that giant and tried to give it his best. Without God in hand, the story would have played out much different. <clears throat> I want to reread one last portion. I want to invite the worship team to come up as we close this morning. But Samuel 17, 45 to 47 says this. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty and the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. All who gather here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Consider that line right there. All will know that it is not by sword or spear that the sword saves. The story of David and others throughout Scripture are stories of God using improbable people to conquer and accomplish extraordinary tasks. He does this so there is no question, no question at all, why were they able to win? Why were they able to claim victory? Because God gave it to them. Nobody else. Where do you need to experience victory in your life today? Where do you need to experience this victory? And what areas are you trying to manufacture victory on your own? And what areas are you saying, I'm going to do this, I need to do this, instead of saying, God, I need you to do this. God, I need you now. When was the last time you asked God to deliver you from battle? When was the last time in the midst of it all you just said, God, I'm losing this, I need you? And what do you need to do to finish with God and not apart from God? Would you stand with me? Remember, there will always be Goliaths. There will always be things in our life that seem larger than life, hard and, and just big and in charge, right? But remember what God has already done. Remember what he's already given you. And remember what he promises to do with you moving forward. Let's pray. God, I thank you for, for being bigger than the Goliath. God, I thank you that you, you are victorious in all things. I thank you for what you've already given us in victory now, and I thank you for what you're going to give us later, God. I don't know what it is all the time that you're working on, but I know that all things work together for your good, and you are a good, loving God. I pray that we, we acknowledge you, we look to you, we seek you, God, and we give you the glory because you deserve it all. We thank you, love you, and everybody said, amen.